Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steppe. Got a mailbag edition of the podcast after a seemingly busy few weeks of Hawkeye sports. Had Media Day last week, Kids Day last week, and obviously an interesting Kids Day as well when you factor in injuries and such. So you had those. Beth Getz had her introductory press conference this week. So a lot happening in Hawkeye world. So I'll jump right into questions. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions from our text update group. You can join them for free at joinsubtext.com slash Hawkeyes. So unsurprisingly, the vast majority of questions are about Cade McNamara and very understandable considering the circumstances. If for some reason you haven't heard, he suffered a soft tissue injury Last week in the Kids' Day open practice, he was evading a pocket that was very quickly collapsing, tried to scramble, and then had a non-contact fall. He was then very much gingerly walking after that, immediately took himself out of practice, went with the training staff back into the locker room, eventually came back to the sidelines, but was not wearing his jersey and was very clearly done for the day. He was able to walk around, talk with teammates, all that, but still, that's a lot different from game speed. The question from everybody on the update, officially no news there. And obviously anything I hear or any bells here is off the record, has to stay off the record. It can't exactly be off the record except for the couple thousand podcast listeners. But that being said, a couple things that'd be worth keeping in mind just in general. So a non-contact injury does not give you a great sign of confidence there in general, but also soft tissue can really vary a lot. Joe Abus has had a soft tissue injury since last month. And that's taken some time to recover, considering that he was not on the field on Saturday for Kids Day. Knowing what I know about Kate, he's probably in that training room a lot. So my sympathies to the Iowa training staff, who's probably working a lot of overtime this week. So while there isn't much to say in terms of what his availability is right now, and there might not be until game week, so might be a little bit of a wait and see situation. Let's kind of go into the hypothetical here of what if he's not available. Deacon Hill did not have a very impressive kids day practice. I think back to the screen pass that was easily intercepted, just bad decision there. He has a fantastic arm, but if the accuracy that he showed on kids day is what would be seen in game action, that really would not be a great fit for what Iowa is trying to do offensively. Because really what Iowa needs from the quarterback position is somebody who is kind of a game manager in terms of Okay, you're not having to worry about turnovers. You don't necessarily need to have Patrick Mahomes back there, but somebody who can complete a high percentage of passes, avoid mistakes. Okay, with the way a Deacon was practicing at Kids Day, and granted, that is just one practice. And that is, of course, a small sample size. It's the only sample size, but it is a small sample size. 
that we get as the general public that didn't necessarily show what Iowa needs. So that would be an interesting question mark. Of course, the schedule early on, you get a bit of leeway. If for some reason, Cade, if it takes longer for Cade to recover, you have more flexibility when you're opening the year against a not very good Utah State team, an Iowa State team decimated with injuries, and then a Western Michigan team that's not very good. So you have a little bit of a favorable start there. And then, you, of course, you have Penn State, which is a top 10 team in preseason polls on the road. Okay, then it gets difficult. But you get a little bit of an on-ramp again this year, kind of like how last year was supposed to be a little bit of an on-ramp, although the Cyhawk loss kind of threw a wrench in that. But long story short here, you have a more favorable schedule in terms of how you start off. So that is a favorable thing. But at the same time, each day that McNamara isn't available, even just in practice, is a day where you don't get to build up that chemistry with this offense that has a lot of new pieces. And you have a lot of talent. Eric Hall is a really talented addition. Seth Anderson, Caleb Brown, very talented additions. You can kind of go down the list. Obviously, Cade McNamara, very talented addition. But the thing that I noticed with Kids Day is it seemed like they didn't quite have a ton of time yet to develop that chemistry. And it goes back to spring, I think, with Cade McNamara not being totally 100% as he was recovering from his knee surgery. You'd like to have that time to be able to get this offense to gel and just haven't seen that yet. The other thing I will say is if Cade recovers quickly... You did see a quarterback that really was doing what Iowa needs to do in terms of the crisp, accurate passes. Granny had the interceptions, but one of them was basically just picked out of Caleb Brown's arms. Another one, Luke Lachey bobbles. And kind of an uncharacteristic play in particular for Luke Lachey. So out of those three interceptions that McNamara technically had, Really, only one is a quarterback mistake interception versus a receivers couldn't maintain possession interception. So if he is healthy, that is what Iowa has needed out of the quarterback position. So this will be the number one storyline going into game week in a week and a half. Basically, long story short, the Spark Notes version We'll wait and see, but it's soft tissue injuries are kind of its own element. Then a question from Rick about um, any DeGene packages on offense with a wildcat formation. That'd be fascinating to watch. When you look at just how great of an athlete Cooper DeGene is, he could pretty much play any position, it seems, on the football field, even at the FBS level. Now, how realistic is it to expect somebody who has his hands full in practice on the defensive side of the ball to then be learning offensive plays? I think it's probably unrealistic to expect that really in game situations. Now, including on this podcast, LeVar Woods has kind of teased the idea of having Cooper DeGene as holder. And that would be interesting in terms of, do you do a fake field goal? 
with the gene as the holder, that might scare some opposing special teams units. But in terms of are you going to see him out for 15 snaps a game? Yeah, I really don't see that happening. I've been wrong before, but it just seems unrealistic with the way that things operate on a week-to-week basis to really be able to bring a defensive player into the offensive fold like that, especially when he has as big of a role on the defensive side of the ball. Um, And then Bonnie following my John Budmeyer story, asking more about him and his role with the Hawkeyes. So he was kind of stuck without a job after the 2021 season. He had been, before the 2021 season, he had been on Wisconsin staff, including for his last three seasons as quarterback's coach. He goes to Colorado State to be offensive coordinator. That was not a good season for Colorado State. And they fire the head coach. And obviously that doesn't bode too well for the offensive coordinator. So Bud Meyer came in after that. Um, It was before spring practices began. He made the move while his wife, who was, I believe, eight and a half months pregnant, was still taking care of things like selling the house. So a lot of credit to Mrs. Bud Meyer. That's a lot of work there. So he comes in before spring, first as a volunteer. At that point, you don't know which coaching positions are going to come open. Okay, is he going to get a quarterback coach position? Is he going to get something else? But he sticks on as on staff, then becomes an analyst before last season. And now this year, basically still an analyst, but a upgrade in title to senior special assistant to the head coach, which good luck fitting that on a business card. That's a long title. Almost as long as like Jay Neiman's assistant defensive line coach and defensive recruiting coordinator. Funny how college football titles can get a little lengthy, but he cannot have instruction technically as a on-field position coach. The NCA does limit that and frowns upon analysts being more than analysts. And you don't have to look too far to see other schools that have run into issues with that. But he is able to help Brian Ferentz a lot. And Brian Ferentz, the one position that he had not coached before the 2022 season was quarterbacks and doesn't really have that quarterback background. So there you have an analyst who is knowledgeable in it, who's able to really help him on the back end of things and kind of beef up that experience. Obviously, the results weren't there at the quarterback position in Bud Meyer's first year. When you look at what Petrus did when you look at what Padilla did. And then Labus probably did as good as you could ask for considering the circumstances in the Music City Bowl. But during that regular season, the results weren't there. But we'll see if things are different now that Bud Meyer has Cade McNamara in that room, a guy that he tried recruiting to Wisconsin. Wisconsin was McNamara's first Power 5 offer. He chooses Michigan instead. Then all of a sudden... He's in the portal, Bud Myers at Iowa. That was a factor in his recruitment, as he's mentioned on a couple occasions. So that's kind of the overview of what Bud Meyer will do. You know, a lot of self-scouting. He can do a lot of analyzing of film. It's just you can't see him out there with the quarterbacks as basically another position coach. Doesn't quite work that way, but still can help in a lot of ways behind the scenes 
as somebody with experience as a Big Ten quarterbacks coach and a former Big Ten quarterback as well before injuries got in his way. Then speaking of coaching staff, Steve asks, looking back to this past offseason, if anyone suggested that Brian Ferentz be moved back to line coach, something that he was good at, wouldn't this benefit all concerned? The first thing I would say to that question is Iowa people really have high regards for Iowa's current offensive line coach, George Barnett. The results obviously have not been there in years one and two, but the cupboard has also been bare where you look at that 2018 recruiting class, you look at that 2019 recruiting class of the players who committed as offensive linemen. Okay. Yeah. You got the Remington trophy guy there who was part of that 2018 class, but Lindy moved from defensive line to offensive line. So you're working with a pretty bare cupboard in terms of a lot of those recruits, either injuries, transfers, etc., didn't really pan out. Now he's starting to get players like, say, a Connor Colby, who now is in his third year. Kirk Ferentz will be quick to say that, okay, that's oftentimes when guys would start to really be contributing historically. So it's been a young group, but George Barnett, widely respected both in the football facility, outside of it. I've been impressed with all my interactions with George. And the thing that he said this year to me was that he has competition now in that room. And that really is a big part of why he's optimistic for this season. Now, Kids Day was not a great showing for the offensive line. The difficult thing to know is how much of that is Iowa's offensive line versus Iowa's defensive line being so good, where that is really a strength of this team, even with the uncertainty around Noah Shannon's status with gambling investigation. So that's another thing to keep in mind. But that was a big part of not moving positions. Another thing, too, is it probably actually works best to have the offensive coordinator also coach quarterbacks just because of the timing and the scheduling with that in terms of giving the person who's trying to execute your pro style at times complicated offense. You want to have that person spending as much time as possible with your offensive coordinator. So it would be surprising on a couple different levels to see that. Obviously the results need to get better with Brian Ferentz. Last year with him as offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, the results really couldn't get any worse. When you're talking about 130th out of 131 teams in yards per game. And if you look at other stats that are more removed from pacing of games, it wasn't much better. And whether it's yards per play, which I like, I believe is 129 out of 131. Overall, the results need to get better. But in terms of moving Brian from one position to another, doesn't seem like something that'd be in the cards in the near future. And also wanted to hit on the big news of Thursday with Beth Getz having her introductory press conference. She started officially on August 2nd, got to talk with her yesterday, really seemed to have the two things that especially stood out to me. She's more willing to embrace what's coming in college athletics and saying that college athletics needs to evolve. That's a shift 
from Gary Barra, who advocated against the one-time transfer rule pretty recently. I want to say as recent as maybe it was last year. But you see that. You see Barra had a, at times, rather frosty relationship with the NIL collective. You're not running into that with Beth Getz, where she's running to where college sports is going. So that stood out to me. And then along with embracing the future changes of college sports, also impressed with uh, how she answered a couple questions in particular. One was about the athletic department being through some trying times in the last decade and how comfortable is she with the athletic, the image of this athletic department and is it where it needs to be? Obviously, you don't have to look far back into the history books to see the discrimination lawsuits, the Title IX issues. You can go down the list of problems in the BARA tenure off the field. And she said at one point, quote, certainly we, just like any other institutions, have had trying moments. I think it's important, although I wasn't here for those. I understand what those issues are, what those issues were like then and try and ensure and help support us in not making any repetitive mistakes. And that re- not making repetitive mistakes thing was the other part that really stood out to me in terms of, you could see, it seemed like some of the mistakes were happening again, and you're watching kind of history repeat itself in some regards, particularly with the discrimination lawsuits during Barra's tenure, and avoiding those repetitive mistakes You have a lot of changes happening in college athletics, and you can't really take the self-inflicted wounds with those repetitive mistakes. Those are the two things that especially stood out to me. But overall, a lot of impressive insights from Beth. One of the big questions, going back to Brian Ferentz, is what happens if he doesn't hit that 25 points per game threshold? And here's what she said about that. Let me lead with this. His goal, and I know because I've sat down with him, I sat down with Kirk, and really the goal of every coach that we have here is to win games, right? Um, And I'm 100% convinced I was going into those conversations, I was going out, uh, that that their focus is on how do we win football games and how do we develop these young men. Um, And so, you know, as we look at those types of things, just like we would in any sport, you're going to evaluate a season at the end um, and see how you did. But the goal is to to win along the way. Um, And I won some ugly games as a coach, and I never gave any of them back. Um, But I'm I'm confident. Um, I know they're excited. I know you all have now had a chance to see that team. Um, We're excited about what they're going to do on the field. And and we understand it's unique. We understand it's going to be talked about a lot. Um, But it's just not something we're going to be thinking about. Um, you know, week in and week out. We're, we're going to cheer for the team, support the program, support our coaches the way we always do. And, you know, we'll evaluate at the end of the season. And the last thing I'll mention with Beth Getz's introduction is a big part of how she's going to be remembered inevitably in however many years that is, is by her head coaching hires. And I asked about that and what's her philosophy in terms of the qualities she's looking for for a head coach, especially since. You've got football and two basketball head coaches who are all in their 60s. This is not much of a hypothetical. Well, it's technically a hypothetical, but it's not a very hypothetical hypothetical here. And here's what she had to say about her philosophy. 
Well, short of not letting these guys retire uh, anytime soon. Uh, but, you know, one, again, I was really fortunate because, again, those coaches um, have created this great tradition that's going to make uh, make these opportunities just so appealing for uh, for them, um, for others when, when they become open. But, uh, you know, primarily we, I was actually just talking with somebody the other day um, about this exact same thing. And, and I think the most important thing is to figure out what type of individual you need for your institution. I, I personally don't believe that every coach can be equally successful at each place. I think it depends on who you are, what you want to be, what your culture is, um, and finding the right coach that fits that uh, fits all of those needs. So I think it's really important that you sort of define, hey, here are top five, five priorities in this sport for the person that's going to lead uh, the program going forward. And then you start the search process from there to make sure that you are looking at candidates that are going to hit all those marks. And that's it for this week's podcast. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. Until next week, we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.